everyone. Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Glamour podcast is Gwen Boniface. Gwen falls under the model category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. I'll let her introduce herself properly. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Gwen. Thanks for joining me. Hey, hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Could you please introduce yourself for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, my name is Gwen Boniface. I am currently a uh, a grad student and and MA candidate at the CUNY School of Professional Studies. I'm studying applied theater, um, which I like to say is sort of social justice theater. It's the process of applying theater to social change. Um, so oh. that's my my primary vocation at the moment. Um, but I'm also an event manager when the world isn't doing what it's doing right now. Um, <laughs> I'm a general theater person, creative type performer. I've done lots of different um, kinds of creative work over the years. Wonderful. Thank you for defining applied theater because I was going to ask you <laughs> what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used to, I'm used to that one. It's not a not a common everyday term. That's wonderful. I didn't realize that that was um, something you can get a degree in. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I know you because you've modeled for, for Smart Glamour a few times over the years. Um, I believe the first time you modeled was for the In Your Size campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was seven yeah. years ago now. Yeah, that was spring 2016. So, I mean, summer 2016. So it's been four years. Yeah. Wow. My gosh. <laughs> Time doesn't mean so, anything anymore. Uh, well, yeah, especially now. That's true. <laughs> um, so do you consider slash do you call yourself a model and why or why not? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. I have a sort of complicated relationship to the word model and and sort of using it for myself as an identity. Mm-hmm. It's definitely never the first thing that I say about myself. And I think that's partially because just I, I, it's, it's not the most frequent thing in my life. It's not my primary way of expressing myself, but, um, Mm -hmm. but, but more than that, it's because I feel like if I call myself a model, I have to explain because Mm. if somebody sees me and goes, right, but you're, you're five, four and you're like a size 14 And Mm -hmm. like, you don't look like what I expect a model to look like. I feel like I have to explain myself and to justify my presence in this space. Um, Mm. And, and so I have a certain amount of discomfort in claiming it, um, even though it's not actually, um, it's, it, it doesn't actually fit with my values to police who can be a model in that way. But I know that other people are going to react to me um, with disbelief on, on occasion. Um, and so I, I'm careful about how and when I, I use it. Wow. That's so interesting. So that's a question I'm asking anyone that I, I bring on that, that models for me because the answers are all so very different from one another. Um, and of all the people who said no so far, that isn't the specific answer that they've said. So we've talked a lot about like what the word means and how, it carries with it, like, just, I keep saying heavy, but then then saying that that's not the right word, but maybe it is the right word, is what I keep thinking of. Um, it just has this weight to it, and, like, this, like, societal meaning to it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think what you expressed is is similar, but is is a very is an interesting take on it that like you know that somebody if you say it to the wrong person, they're going to question you, and you don't want to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't need other people's um, questioning of me or judgment of me on top of my own internal monologue. <laughs> Right, right. Exactly. I mean, that's totally fair. Um, so you've you described yourself a little bit by saying that you're around a size 14 and you're 5'4". How else would you describe yourself for people who um, don't know what you look like? Um, I am a cis, white, curvy femme. Um, I tend to lean really heavily into femme styles. Um, which for me is like a specifically queer expression of femininity. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I love, um, sort of retro inspired, mid-century inspired silhouettes. Um, so I wear a lot of things that call a little bit on 1950s, 1960s styles, but I'm too lazy to go all the way with it (laughs) and do the, (laughs) the hair and the makeup and everything. Um, so, uh, yeah. That's it's it's a it's a little bit of a of a stylistic mix. <laughs> that is super fair, <laughs> especially the hair from that time. Whew, that takes a lot. Yeah, it's so much. And you I don't have, have so a lot long of hair. hair so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have very very long hair, and it's even longer now that we've been in you know in lockdown for six months. Like I cut it myself maybe six weeks in. And then was uh-huh. like, oh, this is too much of a mess. I can't do this again. I'll just get a cut when I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> just put it in a bun. <laughs> yeah. um, so pre-2016, pre-finding out about Smart Glamour and modeling for us, what was your relationship with fashion and any like tangential things that run alongside fashion, whether that's body image or photography or modeling or maybe even performing in some way? Yeah, I mean, for me, performing was definitely my my entry into this. Um, mm-hmm. I I've been I've been acting since I was probably ten, and so that was my if I was if I was going to be photographed for anything in a, in a sort of like stylized way rather than everyday candids, it was probably going to be on stage or a headshot or something that was specifically trying to feed into um, into theater work. Uh, and Mm -hmm. so that was always my, that was always my, um, association with, with being photographed. And it was extremely stressful because (laughs) often, even when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, very young, what, what roles I could get were going to depend on how I looked and and it wasn't always a value judgment. Sometimes it is, right? And sometimes, it, often, it's very homogenous and um, expecting everyone to live up to this, like, very specific cis, white, thin ideal. Um, mm-hmm. But but often it's just it's just about like, do you look like what the director has in mind? And so I would get really really stressed about meeting the standards and like worrying if I was right. And, um, and got really, um, got really resentful of having my picture taken and sort of stopped letting 
folks, even like my family, my, it became sort of a thing in my family. My, my dad would always want to like take pictures when we were out and about doing cool things. Um, Mm -hmm. and I never wanted to be in pictures because I, I became so critical of my own image. Um, and it took me a really, really long time to start training myself out of that. And it was partially through, um, through modeling for smart glamour and then also through doing other kinds of performing that were more um, about creating what I specifically want to create and less about uh, having someone else cast me. So I was Mm -hmm. involved in burlesque for a while before I started grad school and got too busy. Um, And, you know, I was a a roller derby cheerleader um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we were photographed a lot for that. And it's just entirely different way of thinking about and looking at people. Um, right. And that helped me start looking for photos that looked like me instead of looking for photos that looked like what I thought I was supposed to look like. Ooh, <laughs> I like that phrasing. Um, so, so what was going on? What was your headspace? I, and like, I, honestly, I can't even remember how you found slash applied to the casting call for like what was your thought process when you saw that because so that's for folks who are not aware um so basically smart glamour is a clothing brand so i do like standard castings for runway shows and photo shoots but then over the past however many years i've also done um campaigns which are more about a specific message than about specifically clothes and gwen first modeled for one of those which was called in your size where i photographed 60 people um five person five people per clothing size so i was looking for uh it was a very different kind of feel but could you tell me a little bit about like um yeah how you found that casting and what was your frame of mind and why you decided to apply for it yeah i mean at the time i i was still attempting to be a professional actor and my idea of what that means has shifted significantly as i've sort of gotten involved in more um socially engaged theater work rather than, mm-hmm. um, the sort of the Broadway track. Um, and I was just at the beginning of that focus shifting in my own artistic practice when I saw the, the In Your Size casting. Um, and I believe I saw it on the Facebook group, um, Queer Women and Trans People in the Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had seen a couple of like auditions that were relevant to me pop up there. And so I applied sort of like on a whim. I was like, oh, yeah, this seems like it's in line with my values. This is a thing that I could like, you know, I, at, <laughs> at the time, because I was trying to perform professionally, um, I, you know, I always wanted to be able to tell people that I was doing something. I wanted to be able to prove that I was doing it and have something to put on my website and my resume. Mm-hmm. And like, you, you have to be working. You have to prove that you're doing the thing. Um, and so I was like, yeah, let's try this. Um, and then I, I, we did the shoot and I started reflecting on my own self-talk in response to the photos and like realizing how sort of toxic and unpleasant the way that I was thinking about myself Mm. was. Um, and and that prompted me to, to come back and to um, really lean into um, 
I hesitate to use the word body positive or the term body positive because it, it has been so um, diluted, um, yeah. but sort of, but lean into that ethos um, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And also I, I feel like that's almost like the perfect shoot to have done that because it was so fast. Like, because I was mm-hmm. taking pictures of 60 people everybody's time slot was you know like 10 minutes it's like you came in you changed I took like 10 photos of you and then you changed and you left like it was so fast yeah (laughs) so I I feel like if you needed a primer into like you know a quick photo shoot without a lot of um I don't know like sitting around time to be anxious that's probably was probably a good one to do (laughs) yeah it was a pretty pretty gentle introduction um so then since then, I mean, it's been four years, you've modeled a few times over the years since then, like, how has your relationship to all of that changed? Hmm. I mean, I still, I still, I mean, I still get anxious. I still get self-critical. Mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. struggle with it. Um, but uh, I'm just, I am approaching my own body entirely differently um, than I was at the time um, because of that shift of I am not trying to conform to a specific image for the sake of my career, removing Mm -hmm. that, removing that pressure of needing to look a certain way in order to get jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me appreciate what I, what I actually look like naturally when I'm not policing my food intake and, and dressing for other people. Um, and so it's been a lot, um, it's been a lot less stressful, um, to do subsequent shoots and, and also felt, um, I have been able to be more present and be more myself. I think with gradually with, with each successive one, which Mm -hmm. has also meant that I, have an easier time chatting with the other models and like feeling like I'm in this community instead of thinking like, Oh God, what are folks going to think of me? Am I in competition with other people? It just, it totally, it totally removes that dimension. Yeah, for sure. Which is absolutely what I want to happen. (laughs) 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 But I can understand that like, you know, it takes time to um especially when you're coming from like a performing standpoint already and a performing standpoint that is like restrictive and um so specific and can be stressful it's hard to go from that to like a completely different um type of performing slash photography slash modeling environment and that's like with all of that stuff removed it's like Mm -hmm. I, cause I know because, you know, like pre Smart Glamour, I did modeling, you know, I did dance my own life, my whole life. Like I, I know what it feels like to be in a room and feel like everyone in there is your competition. And like you, the point is not to show who you are. The point is to show that you can be what somebody else wants you to be. It's just a totally different mindset. Um, and I think one of my favorite things to witness with models who who come back multiple times is um, them getting more comfortable, not only in front of my camera, but also with themselves and with the environment and with the other models. And then like, you know, creating friendships with, with other people that they meet there. It's just really a wonderful byproduct of it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a really, it is a really lovely group of people. 
um, who, I mean, like totally coming from all over the place with lots of different motivations, but, um, Mm -hmm. but it's a really, um, yeah, it's a really like gentle, loving, supportive environment. And I really appreciate it. Um, so while all this was happening, um, can you talk about a little bit of the shift in your, um, performing acting career trajectory life like at the same time and and how did that lead you to studying what you're studying now and like what what do you want to do with that yeah absolutely um it is all very closely intertwined um i have always i have spray i've always loved expressing myself through my physical body, right. Through, through performing, through singing, um, through modeling. Um, mm-hmm. I have always, that, that has always been my way of sort of interacting with the world, um, taking on different roles and, and testing things out. Um, and at some point I just, I realized that a lot of the things that I loved about theater growing up, um, doing theater in educational and community environments and feeling like I had this, this group of people around me who, um, who were really, yeah, who were supportive, who were my community. Um, and, and feeling like I had an opportunity to be, to be myself and to try out these different things, just, as soon as I tried to transition into the professional theater world from that, all of those positive aspects were absent. Mm. And I suddenly was using my body to express what other people wanted to say. And a lot of the time I didn't agree with it and I wasn't comfortable putting, putting that on myself. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt really disingenuous and it, and it felt like I was participating in uh, in a system that um, was ultimately harmful, not just to me and other actors, but to the people who would be then receiving the messages that the that the work we were doing promoted. And like, mm. it is entirely possible as an actor, if you get really famous, right? If you if you end up with a platform and a certain amount of power, to then wield that for good and start um, producing things that really express your, your own views and, and focus on, um, uh, focus on promoting things that you're more interested in. But as a, Mm -hmm. as a, as someone just trying to get into the industry, you, you don't really have that option. You kind of have to take whatever work comes your way. And if you don't, then you get labeled as difficult or you just never get off the ground. Right. Because, you're always supposed to be working. And if you don't develop a resume, people don't look at you for the next thing. Um, And so I didn't really have the option to opt out of things that I didn't believe in without opting out of the commercial theater industry entirely. Um, And, and I know that there are folks who manage to sort of ride that divide and work inside the system and make it work for them. But I was never comfortable with that. And so I started seeking out things that were more, um, were more in line with, uh, 
with my values and and encapsulated a lot of the things that I had loved about theater growing up, which meant that I started I started teaching. That's when I started doing burlesque um, and uh, and cheerleaders and um, and now I'm in this this program, this master's program. Um, where we're, you know, we're studying all different kinds of forms and ways to use theater for social change um, that are really exciting and feel really meaningful. And I, I have that, I have that joy back. <laughs> like I remembered mm-hmm. why I loved theater. I don't, I don't resent it. Like I resented going to auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, even when it's hard, this, I, this, I can still stick with and feels good. Um, and so it, it turned out to be that that frustration with the commercial theater industry ultimately pushed me in a much um, healthier direction. That's so wonderful. Like I truly can't stress that enough. Um, And it's interesting. I I thought of two different things while you were talking about that one being, so my husband is an actor, um, but he's also a cis straight white man who's (laughs) blonde haired and blue eyed. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very um, different experience. Oh yeah. And yeah. I and I'm just immediately was thinking about anyone who's not that, how much harder not only it it must be to um you know, because there's more there's there's less roles written for folks mm-hmm. of any other kind of marginalized identity of any sort, but also just your you you go into it having to have this conversation with yourself about like, what's really important to me. Do I try to work with this within the system or do I quit? Like, you know, I just feel like there's so many more conversations and internal emotional things you have to go through mm-hmm. that he, that he doesn't have to deal with. Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the thing that we talk about the most is that he gets cast a lot to play like terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> which which is so funny and and he's fine with because he's like somebody's got to play a terrible person and like if if we need if you need a a a blonde blue-eyed cis white guy to do it then like okay because the story needs to be told and that and you know it was is what it is and and honestly he's been told multiple times from his fellow actors who he's working with in in these types of scenes or plays that they're glad that it's him because he's a good human outside of um acting and so they feel comfortable mm-hmm. doing a scene with with him as the bad guy knowing that in real life he's not you know what i mean um but also what the, what it brought up to me is it sounds i know it's a completely different um industry altogether but it what the things that that you were saying sounds so similar to my relationship to the fashion industry um and and i'm assuming lots of other industries that that can be harmful where you know do you work within them to try to make things better until you have enough power that you can make change in that system or do you leave and try to do something else you know and I feel like that's that's what happened to me with with Smart Glamour is I I got into the fashion industry thinking it was one thing, quickly found out it was something else, and that was not something I was comfortable being a part of. Tried to be a part of it, it ate away at my soul, and I left and started something else. So um, I'm really glad to hear that that's a viable thing that you can do also within um, a performing or acting space. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, could you talk a little bit about um, finding burlesque performance? And I know you're now you're too busy to do it. You mentioned, but like, and how that um, also ties into this. And you can also talk about like cheerleading too. Maybe maybe both of those things, since they're like performing but not in like a typical acting sector. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, burlesque had been a thing that I was fascinated with from afar for a long time. Um, I A lot of my theater work um, centers around gender and sexuality and bodies. Like, that's, that's my primary content interest. And so um, burlesque is very much in line with that. And then there's also... Um, there's also a really lovely, very active burlesque, or they call it neo-burlesque community in New York. Um, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of individual control. Like if you decide that what you really want to do is like a classic showgirl act and, and you want beads and feathers and fancy and traditional, great, you can do that. If you want to do something like totally low budget and bizarre and gross and based on your favorite movie, you can do that. And like everything in between, like the only expectation is that you will start with more clothes on than you finish and <laughs> right. everything else in between. And I mean, and you can actually also do it the other way. People do reverse strips occasionally. I was right? going to say that I've seen, I've seen yeah. that as well, <laughs> but like, basically that's the right. That's the form. It's a general, it's a general arc. And then in between, you can do whatever you want in terms of costumes and music and message and w whatever. Um, it's very open. And um, and yet each act is usually, you know, two to five minutes long. It's a relatively self-contained way to create something that is yours, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really appealing um, for for someone like me who had felt very stuck in, um, in traditional theater, um, and the sort of the conservatory acting training, um, system. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really, I really, really loved that. And now <laughs> the fact that it is so independent also, um, creates a lot of class issues. It's really difficult to get started in burlesque if you don't have the money to make or commission good costumes and mm. to uh, either take dance classes or, you know, pay someone to help you choreograph. Like there, there, there are a lot of, of, um, there are, there are a lot of, uh, issues that really intersect with, with race, with class, with, um, lots of other forms of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's not, it's not perfect. It's hard. And that's one of the reasons that I ended up leaving is because I couldn't balance dealing with those issues alongside dealing with grad school. Um, but, but it is really so open um, artistically and that's extremely appealing. Um, there's also something really wonderful about being seen and validated, uh, which is huge in burlesque, right? And like, it doesn't really matter what your body looks like at all. When you take your bra off, people are still going to cheer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, 
And that's really, that is really wonderful um, as someone who comes from the, from the theater world. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, <laughs> like everything, it's really, really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, but I enjoyed it a lot. And, um, and when, when I'm done with school and when, um, you know, when the world starts to reopen again, I would really like to, to go back. That's great. And then, and then talk a little bit about, um, cheerleading as well. Like, I I mean, I know what that is, but I'm sure there's, there's lots of people that don't. (laughs) Oh yeah. I, gosh, I love roller derby so much. Um, I, um, I think I was initially drawn to roller derby for very much the same reasons that I was drawn to burlesque. There are some sort of aesthetic similarities um, mm-hmm. with the sort of like um, aggressive, uh, empowered vision of uh, femininity and gender nonconformity. Um that is uh, just so exciting and wonderful. Um, and, um, and I had really wanted to be part of that community for a long time, but I couldn't, I couldn't skate to save my life. Mm. Um, and, um, and I, I had no idea um, until I was like on the Gotham girls roller derby website one day um, looking at, uh, at classes. Cause they run like boot camps um, where mm-hmm. they teach you how to play derby. Um, that they had cheerleaders. And I realized that like, oh my gosh, this thing that I thought I couldn't do is accessible to me. And I got so excited. And like, it wasn't even necessarily about um, about cheerleading specifically. It was just the fact that like, I had a way to be involved with this community. Um, but then once I, once I did, I mean, it's just like, right. It's, it's just like cheerleading essentially, except um, it's all bodies, all genders, um, and with a distinctly roller derby kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so it ended up being really wonderful as a way to appreciate my body for what it could do instead of how it looked. Um, and I, you know, I got to go participate in these, these practices, um, and I made some really wonderful friends, including Bear, who is also, um, a smart glamour model. Um, I yes. met through cheerleading. Yeah, they're going to be in a, a future episode of this, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, lots of, oh, gosh, just such good people. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until I was applying for grad school and I realized that one of the other cheerleaders was actually about to graduate for the from the program that I was in the middle of applying to. I didn't realize the sort of connection between the fact that this was like, this was a community performance group that like gave people an opportunity to, um, to perform regardless of gender of ability. Um, that was actually so in line with what I was studying on purpose. (laughs) Um, and this happens to me over and over is that I would like find myself in these environments that like I couldn't necessarily articulate why I thought they were cool and then realize that they all had this commonality um, of being like an accessible community oriented um, type of performance. Yeah. That's so awesome. 
And do you do like actual like I, I I've never been to a, a roller derby match. Do do the cheerleaders do like full routines and whatnot there, or are you just cheering, or what are you doing specifically? Yeah, I mean it depends. for For most of the home games, um, between uh, basically f- four out of the five boroughs, everybody but Staten Island has a has a derby team. Um, and they all play each other and you can go see those games locally. And then there are also other tiers there, are, you know, travel teams and training teams. Um, but for the, for the local games, um, bouts, they call them, um, cheerleaders do, uh, like a halftime show routine. Um, and then we also sideline cheer. Um, and then there'll be people, you know, if you can't make the, the rehearsals or whatever, you can also just come in and sideline cheer for the day, or sometimes we'll, We'll go cheer for um, uh, for like the training teams or the travel team, depending on like if they're if they're playing locally. Um, but yeah, and we'll do all these kinds of. I mean, I can't. I'm, I say we. I haven't been involved since I started grad school because of time. Yeah. Um, but um, we'll do like themed routines. We did like a, a May the Fourth, like Star Wars one one year. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really fun and wacky and, um, very high energy. That's great. Um, so I'm sure that there are a multitude of things, but what are, you know, maybe one or two things that are most important to you that you would like to see change within, um, the theater industry and maybe also if you have any thoughts on what you'd like to see change within the fashion industry or modeling industry or burlesque industry Mm. and other thoughts (laughs) yeah so much i would love uh i i think it's sort of inseparable from my uh from my sort of national scale politics i would love to see things just reorganized in a non-hierarchical way um, mm. that prioritizes people over money um, across industries. Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like more often than not, that's the problem, right? We all have to make compromises in order to survive. Um, and that often means giving up on values and um, putting ourselves in situations that may not be safe or comfortable. Um, mm. And yeah, and and there's the and there's the issue of, sort of moderate reforms, which is why I'm hesitant to use the word body positivity a lot, um, mm-hmm. where we're still essentially thinking that there is one, there is one category that everyone should be aspiring to. And, and maybe we just expand the boundaries of what that category is a little bit, but we're still expecting people to ultimately conform and that's an issue across across fashion, across theater, um, instead of instead of just ditching the hierarchy completely, um, right? And and validating everybody where they are right now, um, yeah. And so so it's it, I I am generally much more of a tear the system down person. <laughs> than a, than a reformer. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's honestly difficult to, to identify like a single, a single point of change because it's more of a, a shift in priorities and a shift in thinking. Right. And that would require a whole new system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair. I mean, um, you know, 
obviously, I mean, I, I always like hesitate to even say I'm part of the fashion industry because I still don't want to be like, because I, just because I am a fashion professional who makes clothing for a living and educates, um, you know, I'm, it's so, I'm so far removed from what's going on over there that (laughs) to receive somebody was like, what's the one thing that they should change? I'm like, uh, all of it. Um, so to close it out, what what is maybe um, a tip or piece of advice or piece of motivation that you would give to somebody who is in the theater world or or an industry tangential to it who um, feels similarly to you and like feels stuck and is unsure of like how to continue doing what they love without um, harming themselves or others. Mm. Definitely the thing that helped me the most was finding my people. Um, Mm. Because it's really, it's really easy to get stuck if you feel alone. Um, But, but very often there are already lots of really bright, talented, dedicated people out there who share your values and have similar experiences and are doing the work and can help direct you, can be people you work on a project with, um, can be mentors. Uh, we, like, we don't have to go it alone and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of power in collective action um, and, and collaborative work. Uh, so yeah, find your people. And I feel I feel like that's uh maybe almost the message for this entire podcast that we just, this entire conversation <laughs> we just had, you know, because smart glamour, cheerleaders, uh burlesque community, um apply theater community, all of that. Uh found sounds yeah. like you were just uh consistently looking for your people. <laughs> yeah. I once I once dated a guy who uh, I was um uh I I was like trying to, you know, first date chat. Right. And Mm -hmm. maybe an hour in, he was like, you use the word community so much. I was like, yeah, you don't. (laughs) I don't understand (laughs) if, if you're, if if this isn't your priority, what are you even doing? Like, I mean, could that just be a little bit of a um, commentary on, (laughs) on men? Yes. One of the many reasons I don't date them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, so where can folks find you on the internet if you'd like them to? Yeah, I am uh I am at lazy retro femme on Instagram. That's fem F-E-M-M-E. And my website is gwendolynboniface.com. Fabulous. And I will link that in all the places where things can be linked and tagged. Um, Thank you so much for joining me, Gwen. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fashion for All. Please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks. <laughs>